The Toolshed is a mission-driven, education-based sex toy store located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. More than your typical adult store, the Toolshed provides quality, body-safe products that enhance the sexual lives and relationships of their customers, and they do it all in a comfortable, compassionate, and welcoming atmosphere. Not located near Milwaukee? That's okay. The Toolshed's online shop at www.toolshedtoys.com serves customers all over the world. The Toolshed strives to be the source for accurate, up-to-date information about sexual health and pleasure. Their store is staffed by sexual educators who are invested in providing sex-positive and inclusive support to their customers throughout their lifespan, no matter where they're from. The Toolshed stocks a large selection of products made from body-safe materials. They have sex toys for folks of all genders, orientations, and inclinations, including gear for strap-on play, vibrators to stimulate a variety of body parts, BDSM gear, kink supplies, and much more. The Toolshed is also proud to offer a large inventory of gender expression supplies like binders, soft packers, shaping underwear, and breast forms. Last but not least, the Toolshed stocks lots of great books on topics like ethical non-monogamy, how to negotiate consent, kinky play, sexual pleasure, sexual health, and so much more. They've got over 500 different titles in stock at their Milwaukee location and host a regular monthly book club too. Every day, the Toolshed staff answers questions about products, pleasure, health, and relationships, all without shame or stigma. The Toolshed also offers in-person and online private consultations for people who have in-depth questions about any of those things, as well as other subjects like communication and relationships, establishing healthy boundaries, fertility basics, alternative menstrual products, and other topics folks deal with every day as sexual beings. You can visit the Toolshed in person at 2427 North Murray Avenue in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or you can check out our online store at www.toolshedtoys.com. From now through the end of 2019, you can use promo code POLY2019, P-O-L-Y-2019, at checkout for 10% off your next purchase. Thanks. Hey there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five tenets of journalism, who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. You're listening to episode seven, where we chat with Gretchen. Stay tuned as we delve into the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. All right. Well, Gretchen, uh, who are you? I am a 30-year-old queer poly cisgender woman who lives in Milwaukee. Um, Specifically, I identify uh, most commonly as bisexual, although pansexual is also great. Um, And I am married to a man who is also bisexual. Do you have any other identity uh, labels that you like to either ascribe to yourself or your type of polyamory? I like the model of kitchen table polyamory, and I think we'll talk about that a little bit later on, too. Awesome. Yeah, I think we do have some, we probably will have some listeners that don't, have never heard that term before, so I like getting into definitions, so good, good, good. All right. Um, do you want to define that now, since we're sort of talking about it a little bit, and then we'll go back to the... Sure. Do you, do you have a definition you like to give people of what kitchen table poly means? Sure. Like, I would describe that as... Um, the type of polyamory where everyone is um, comfortable enough or connected enough that um, you can sit down and have a conversation or a discussion or a cup of coffee around the kitchen table with your partners, your metamors, their metamors, etc. All right. 
So what does polyamory mean to you? For me, it's a form of ethical non-monogamy that is very open to emotional connection and then also sustained relationship dynamics. In large part, it's it's freedom. Like there's like a lot of freedom in communicating openly and freely in having um, these different relationship dynamics that don't necessarily fit the structure that our society is accustomed to and wants to implement and everything like that. And it's also like freedom to break and remake those societal norms and rules. And what drew you to polyamory? I didn't necessarily know the the terminology of polyamory and everything when I first started um, understanding that ethical non-monogamy was an option. And I, I've, I've laughed a lot about this with partners and metamors and everything is that um, it's something that I should have realized a lot earlier, like hindsight being 2020. Yeah, there's uh, a a lot of things throughout as I look back that it's like, oh, well, I should have realized then or I should have like this thing in my in my youth, like I was always headed in this direction. Well, actually, that uh, is a nice lead up to the next question, which is when did you know you were poly? So I was thinking about that question um, this morning. Um, And Katie, I was actually listening to your episode this morning (laughs) as I was thinking about it. And... um, I thought about some discussions that we'd had, uh, because uh, Katie is one of my metamors. Uh, uh, she is partnered with my husband. So one of the things that I was thinking of is that when I was in college, the first sort of like date type evening that I had with a man who became my husband was um, one in which I, he and I were making out with his ex-girlfriend, who was also his best friend. And I look back in that and I go... Something should have been obvious a lot (laughs) earlier on. Mm -hmm. But then I I kept going back and thinking, and I was remembering, um, I grew up on the East Coast, and I actually spent a lot of time in Boston growing up. And so I remember one visit to Boston that um, I had been going to visit my best friend, who uh, was like a sister to me, and actually she is also (laughs) non-monogamous now. Mm -hmm. Um, And she is actually sort of like a, a comment partnership uh, for my husband and everything. So that's been an interesting new dynamic as, as we've gotten older and everything. Can you quickly define what a comet is? Yeah. So a comet relationship, uh, if you think about a comet uh, coming around every so often and just for a short amount of time that it's visible and everything. So a comet relationship is something that um, kind of maybe a long distance thing or when you're together, you're together and it's very like lovely and exciting, but it's not uh day in, day out, um, long-term partnership, but it may exist over a long period of time because comets keep coming back around. around. It might be a predictable amount of time. It might not be a predictable amount of time. Some comets were a spark of joy for a little while. (laughs) Spark of joy. Um, so yeah, so I, I was thinking back further and thinking about, um, this one time that I was in Boston and I was about 16 and I'd gone to visit her and we were, uh, hanging out in uh, a car that one of her friends was driving. Um, and the, that friend had been someone that uh, she was maybe getting into dating and um, her very close friend that she had had 
a kind of a, a relationship, a romantic rom relationship dynamic with had dated previously. And so, um, I remember at 16 thinking like, I didn't know that like you had, don't have to like break up with someone and then hate them for forever. <laughs> um, that's like, that's the messaging that I've seen in books and movies and what have you. Yeah, and every movie. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be that way. And so that, that was kind of an eye opening experience for me. Um, but also throughout the course of that night, we ended up going to like a lesbian cafe and shooting some games of pool and playing Dirty Scrabble. And then um, like this one girl and this one guy and I ended up making out for the rest of the night in the car in this like August night in in Boston. Um, and I remember like it being this just wonderful, positive lovely experience that I ended up journaling about and live journaling about mm -hmm. and all of that. Um, but I didn't necessarily think that it was a, a sustainable type of thing that you could ever arrange your life in this way that uh, like people would agree to do this. And so imagine my delight, like half my life later, um, that this is my day to day. So, um, but then I went even further back because Katie, you had been talking about, uh, looking at your journals mm -hmm. at various points of time. So I've been keeping journals, um, since I was a little kid, but then really, uh, really a lot during high school. So I went back and I pulled down all my journals off the shelf this morning and I, I was paging through them and something should have been obvious a lot earlier on, like seriously. About 85% of the fiction writing that I did in those journals featured polyamorous or non-monogamous relationship <laughs> dynamics. That's awesome. Um, and the rest of it that wasn't like notes from history class or whatever was all like very obviously written by a young queer girl. Yeah. Like, so obvious. Um, so it was kind of a, a delight and a joy to go back and read these journals. But yeah, it's been a lot longer than I think I was conscious of. Sure. So, um, uh, Gretchen, when did you first feel different from others? I feel, I feel like I've always been a little like outside of the norm, like always kind of known that. Um, but I think there are two different questions there that like I would answer differently. One is like, when did you feel that way? Like all along, when did I feel comfortable claiming that? Like that was very much a, like Th like working on that throughout high school and college. But, but then by the time I was in my mid twenties, I think is when I was really comfortable claiming like bisexuality and everything and, and, and um, claiming just my queerness because I hadn't been in a lot of relationships and the ones I'd been in had been very long term and kind of looked very heteronormative from the outside. And I didn't, I didn't think that I had the, credentials like if I was challenged on identifying as queer or bisexual or anything else that um that I would like it wouldn't stand up to scrutiny and I definitely internalized that message that the scrutiny has justification to exist um so it, I think it took until probably the first quarter century of my life before I was uh, really comfortable um identifying that way what, what switched? I mean, I've, I've just, this is a fascinating thing. I grew up and started giving zero fucks about what other people thought. <laughs> that helps a lot. Yeah. Um, 
That's yeah. a yeah. I also I I grew up in a very small town of six hundred and thirty four people. Wow. Um, my father was an elected official. Uh, my mother worked for the school district, which was the biggest employer in the county. Um, my uh, father was a small business owner and everything too. Like everyone knew me and everything that I did like would be back to my parents within, you know, an hour of it happening, except for those times that I went to Boston and, mm. you know, had my adventures and all of that. So but, relocating is also maybe part of what yeah. gives you that freedom. And then I went to college, but I went to the same college that my parents and grandparents had gone to. So there was still like lines back yeah. to them. And like, I should say like my, my father has passed away, but my mother is absolutely amazing. Like I am out to my mother. Um, she has bought a house two doors down the block from where we live. One of my partners rents from her and like lives in that house. She is incredibly supportive and really, really wonderful. But I always grew up in a fishbowl, and so I think it wasn't until I moved to a larger city that I had a little bit of a chance to um, experiment with how I publicly identified without that um, being how it would, like, the label that I would have to live with for forever. And as it turned out, it was really comfortable identifying with those labels, but having that little bit of extra freedom was really positive for me. So in your 20s, when you kind of, like, accepted that you were queer and came out that way, um, was it around the same time that you started calling yourself Polly, or was that much later on? Uh, that was probably right around the same time. Um, and actually, I had at first encountered Polly and non-monogamy and everything like that through... Um, like some written fiction and then a ton of fan fiction. Yes. And I, <laughs> I remember just reading things and being like, this makes sense. Why isn't it like this? Like, why can't it be like this? And um, I kind of bought into the doing things the way you're supposed to do them sort of way. And um, I'd been with my partner uh, for like seven or eight years at that point, And we were like, okay, well now we're supposed to get married. And, uh, we'd been living together and some like friends, not so much family members, but a, a lot of friends and social circles were like, well, when are you getting married? So we got married. Um, and I, I enjoy that, that decision, but I don't think that I would make that decision again. Like if I weren't married, I wouldn't be looking for a wedding now. Um, because like being inside that institution and being able to queer the norm is powerful, but it also leads to a lot of erasure in my yes. life. Yeah. So that's, that can be frustrating. And you identify as Polly before the, the marriage? Or we hadn't talked about it before oh, okay. we got married. Um, we talked about it right after we got married. <laughs> Perfect timing. Yeah. Right. Great timing. <laughs> 10 out of 10, highly recommend. No, talk about it first. <laughs> Communication. Um, In spite of the fact that you'd had these experiences together. Right. Um, but we kind of held ourselves back from exploring that anymore because you, quote unquote, aren't supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so we ended up having a conversation. Uh, we'd gone to visit his parents. And then um, it was like around kind of like Thanksgiving, uh, the, about four or five years ago. And um, we'd had this conversation where it was a really nerve wracking conversation for me because I told him like, I need to talk to you about something. I've been feeling a lot of feelings of attraction for a mutual friend of ours. And 
kind of want to kiss this friend. And I kind of want to know how you feel about that. And I hope you're not really mad. <laughs> and as it turned out, he wasn't really mad. Um, and he, he wasn't like shocked or horrified or whatever. We had this amazing, wonderful uh, conversation in the car for a couple of hours on the way back home. And the, the point that we kind of got to with it was that... Um, Neither of us foresaw anything happening with this friend that had sparked an attraction for me, and I didn't think that it was going to be a sustaining attraction. Um, but we got to this point where we decided that if something did present itself as an opportunity, like being open to that and being willing to have more conversations about it, and, and maybe like this is something that we could do. And at that point, we didn't know that there was a whole poly community here. We didn't know any of that. Um, but about three months later, um, we were at a friend's birthday party and another sort of newer friend that we'd been, we'd each been spending time with, um, accidentally let it slip that he was attracted to both of us and then was utterly horrified and clapped his hands over his mouth going, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And like turned and looked at my partner and went, I'm so sorry. And my partner just looked at him and was like, no, that's fine. <laughs> uh, which led to a very long night of discussion and then uh, deciding to, um, to really explore ethical non-monogamy and figure out how to make this work. Um, and so we started listening to a ton of podcasts <laughs> and reading a ton of books and um, decided to, to really try to do this and date as a triad. And uh, that's still going strong. That is going on about four years now. Uh, that's the partner who like rents from my mom's house two doors down the street. Um, and, and, and of course, you know that I'm remembering. <laughs> we met a 23. Or we found a 23 year old. Or we mm -hmm. met a 23 year old. 22 year old. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it was it was really nerve wracking to like, tell other people like, hey, we're we're married, but we're dating someone and the someone is younger and, um, just all of these different aspects of it, but it's been absolutely amazing. And then over time, like we all have other relationships that have come into the picture and that are very important and very special to us. Everything too, um, to each of us, some in common, some not, but it's, um, it's been an amazing journey so far. It's really interesting from my point of view to hear you talk about it being nerve wracking because from from the people you were disclosing to in those very early days, it was like, wow, this is so cool. They're so open. They're so like out. Like, whoa. I don't know if I'm cool enough to hang out with these They're people. They're so much more interesting than I thought they were. Yeah, I mean, you know, because you did present a sort of a typical young married couple, you know, looking straight from the outside. Yeah. And we hadn't had conversations in which anything other than that had come up. I think that speaks a lot to how important it is to have like safe and supportive spaces too. So um, that conversation that we had of like, we've met a 22 year old, mm -hmm. um, that happened in the context of a D and D game mm -hmm. um, where we were all uh, participants in that game. And then um, a mutual friend of ours was the, the DM for the game and running the game. And he and I uh, had had numerous conversations about 
like just our ideological worldview and non-monogamy being okay and positive and wonderful and something that like is worth pursuing and everything. So that, um, that had already come to be a safe space for me. And I very much had the understanding that like other queer people invited into the space would be supportive as well. So that was, um, I think really important in my sort of coming out journey because not every not every person that we've told has taken it particularly well so right well and I can get that sort of like trustworthy by proxy yeah <laughs> you know that we both had those kind of relatively trusting relations I don't think I knew the DM quit as well as you guys did in that personal level but I was out to him as queer and you know all of that but he hadn't outed you guys to me. That's good. That's, <laughs> yes. That's as really far as important. I knew, you were people who he knew from the neighborhood. Yeah. Fellow yeah. <laughs> normal people. <laughs> I love this question for you. Where would you say that you are in your poly journey? I think there are definitely some things that I am working on. I'm very happy with where I am. Like I, I frequently have moments where I just like pause and go, I am so happy and grateful that I have managed to arrange my life in this way that I have these relationships and these people and this community in my life. And it's just so supportive and affirming and wonderful. Um, and I'm not out in all contexts. Um, I work within the school system, so uh, I'm not really out at work, but my immediate supervisor uh, knows and is supportive. And that's just this wonderful, amazing, thing to have. And then there are other, um, like important figures in our Milwaukee community who are aware that like, this is my identity and this is the, the path that I'm on and have been supportive. And some of those are kind of folks who are movers and shakers around the city, community leaders in their own right, elected officials. And I think it's really, really important to have that level of support, just like tacit understanding that who you are is valid. So, um, but there's still things I'm working on. So one of those things is trying to like check couple privilege. Um, one of those things is learning to be okay with kind of amorphous or shifting labels and understandings of what a relationship is. Um, that different language and, and everything works for different relationships and it can kind of move in and out of different layers of meaning and that's all wonderful and good and it doesn't necessarily need a label but that sometimes it makes it hard to answer the question how many partners do you have right sure. some people like labels more than other people i have between three and six partners <laughs> today <laughs> um, but that's definitely something that i am working at i'm also working to recognize what my polysaturation point is, which is, um, for anyone who isn't familiar with that terminology, um, trying to figure out how many relationships and what types of relationships I can effectively and ethically sustain and sustain my relationship with myself right. without kind of getting in over my head or, or um, trying to give too much to everybody else and then everything imploding and collapsing and hurting other people sure. in that process. Um, so I recently had a friend who... Um, indicated that she and her partner would be interested in going on a date and I was incredibly flattered and incredibly excited and then had to step back and go let's talk in a couple of months because I 
can't right now. I can't ethically do that right now. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, you and I have talked about your crazy busy life <laughs> in general, having Polly as one component of that, but really also incorporating just many other aspects of life. Yeah. Um, Google Calendar is my friend. Yes. <laughs> yeah, every time I take on a new project, because I... Cause I I always feel that I can, and I don't know why. I don't know why I feel that way. But it's it's almost like just a life saturation point that I have to be like, oh, no, 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 no. And when, and definitely when it comes to Polly, people, you know, chat me up on OkCupid or something, and I'm like, why am I talking to six different people? <laughs> I can't go out with any of them. What am I doing? I don't have any time. Um, but I always seem to think I can take on more than I can. I've always, always been that person, it. too. Um that was one of the important lessons I had to learn in college, that it's okay to say no sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I'm still working at retaining that lesson. Yes. Uh, but it's also something, uh, my first boyfriend, that was actually one of the major reasons why we broke up. And this was like a high school romance and everything. But he very much wanted me to give up a lot of like the extracurricular activities and volunteer things that I did because he wanted to just spend more time with me and like have my time be his time. And I was very much opposed to that idea because there are so many amazing things to do in the world and I have to say no to so many of them, but I'm definitely not going to say no to five opportunities so that I can be someone's property. That's never (laughs) happening. Oh, I can't imagine somebody asking me to like give up something like, I don't know, any of my hobbies, knitting or something. You're spending way too much time with that yarn. I I need you to focus that energy on me. I'll be like, um, bye. Yeah. yeah, you get a hot. I mean, it's one thing if it's like you know for the next half hour could yeah. we, but <laughs> fair, fair, yes. Um, in Polly Weekly, Cunning Minx talks a lot about like uh, being helping your partner be the best version of themselves, yeah. and I take that to heart a lot. Um, so, someone who's asking me to step back from my engagements and commitments and things that are really important to me. Um, just so that my time is their time is not helping me be the best, best version of myself or them. Yeah. Like, you know, like that's kind of creating a dependency that's not making them the best person that they should be. Right? Yeah. Potentially. Before I got married back in the monogamous context, I was given the advice that, you know, the, the best way you can make a relationship work and both people sort of have to be on the same page of this, but to really say like, my goal here is for your life to work for you. And not, like, in a self-effacing way, but, like, in a, that's what I want for you. I want your life to work for you. That's what I'm committed to. And that's why I want to be in this relationship. And it's more complicated in a poly context, but I think it's the same goal. Like, it's the same, your life working for you, your life you being the best version of yourself. Like, those are really commingled concepts. Yeah. And I think... There are a lot of times that something feels like it might be more complicated in a poly context because there are more moving parts. But if you already hold that value and you're affecting it in one part of your life, I think it's easier to affect it in all of the other parts of your life as well and to continue holding to that value. So I think a lot of times like the fear that something will get more complex or more complicated because there are more people involved doesn't end up working out that way for me. Um, time management would be just about the only place where I feel like that that is maybe sometimes a thing <laughs> right yeah you can you can always add more people but you can't add more time <laughs> right. um, 
Would you say you have a, a reason or an explanation to why you are poly? I view it as an orientation. So I think, um, I think I'm just built this way and trying to operate in other ways is not particularly healthy for me. Like I, I spent uh, seven or eight years in a committed, um, ostensibly monogamous relationship where like that was the value that we were both trying to enact and hold. But that was a lot more work than Polly feels like. So. Right. Yeah. That is interesting that you frame it that way because yeah, I've never been in a monogamous relationship, but when I think about it, I'm like, Oh, all of the things that I would have to pretend to be would be very, very difficult. And that would be complicated. That would be complex to me way more than just being myself. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so why did you agree to be interviewed? Um, I'm really excited that this podcast is happening. Um, I just, I think it's really great to hear more stories from people who are living the poly lifestyle in all kinds of different ways. So like I'm, um, living as a, like a queer poly woman in a, what appears to be a heteronormative marriage to the the rest of the outside world. But I have partners who are solo poly and who are um, intentionally de-escalating relationships so that they can like live their, their truth a little bit more um, easily or uniformly. And I think there's so many different ways of being poly that I want to hear those stories. Uh, too many of the like the articles that get written up in major publications and everything take a lens of like oh this is something that um you know zesty uh, straight white people do yeah and affluent too They're yeah usually often right. yeah. yeah middle and class. they're already married and they've been married for x years and and, and it, it comes from a couple perspective and yes, that always. is the way that I think I most frequently talk about my journey because I ended up in this, this monogamous relationship and this monogamous marriage and then kind of blasted that all apart to, to rebuild things the way that actually works for us. Um, and for each of us individually, but looking back through those journals and everything like, no, this, this, that was never me. That was how I was trying to, to go along with expectations. And what's funny is, out of our, our, like, past couple episodes, the majority of them have been solo poly, polyamorous, which is really funny, because I'm like, oh yeah, we're just busting through all of our solo poly people in our community, they get first dibs on this podcast, and then, it, but, but it's true, like, when I talk about, in general, when people are coming into the poly group, it's usually couples trying to open up their relationship, but there's so much more than that. That's what people see, but it, there's so much more than that. I'd say actually the majority of my partners are solo poly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been really valuable for me in learning how to check my biases and my like couple privilege and everything. And also how important that is. And I, I'm not sure that I'm excellent at it yet, but that's, that's room for growth. So. Couple privilege would be a really good episode. Yeah. Wow. Also a really difficult episode, maybe. <laughs> I thought about talking about it, but I don't feel like I've done enough work there yet that I can actually like speak from a point of any level of expertise with that. So let's talk about it. That would be an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'd be an interesting one. We'll have to 
look at our list of people who have said they would be interviewed and see if we can identify some people who might be. Well, not grilling them, like, what right. are you doing wrong? <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I mean, not necessarily wrong, but maybe what have you struggled with that you now feel like you're doing better at? Yes. So uh, the topic you chose today uh, that we kind of brushed on a little bit earlier was kitchen table poly and specifically compersion. Uh, can you define what compersion means? Yeah. Um, compersion, a lot of times I hear people say, oh, like, so there's jealousy and then compersion is the opposite of jealousy. And I'm not sure that's actually a great definition. So I want to kind of blast that out of the water right away. Um, but compersion is this feeling of joy and happiness at your partner's happiness or even their metamorphs happiness. Um, so it's a, a, an idea that outside of the poly community, a lot of people I think really um, struggle with because we have all of these cultural narratives and societal narratives and in every book and movie and whatever it's uh, you know you should be jealous you should feel jealousy if another person likes the person you like then you're at war then it's a love triangle and you have to like somebody has to win this is um, the plot to every movie <laughs> team whatever team whatever yes. yeah yeah um but i find that i feel a lot of joy and happiness at my partner's happiness or my metamorphs happiness. Um, so, it, and that's something that uh, exists a lot within all of my relationships. But when I'm talking to people who aren't poly or non-monogamous and for whom this is a foreign concept, I, um, I frequently try to give them like examples outside of this romantic dynamic because we we have some really toxic narratives around what is romance, what is romantic, how we should behave within interpersonal relationships. Um, and so um, I talk about, like, you can feel a lot of affection and love for um, someone, even if they're not the only person that you have that feeling for. Like, when... Um, when you hear that a couple who has been trying to have a baby for a long time is like finally having a baby, um, unless you have something in your own life of like, oh, we've been trying and that hasn't been working for us, so I'm happy for you, but I'm sad for me. Like, generally, right. you're thinking, oh, congratulations, somebody gets a new job, congratulations. Right, you're happy for your friends when they have these positive experiences. Yes. Yeah. Compression is also held up as this like mirrored jealousy that you feel one or the other. But I don't think that's necessarily true. I frequently don't feel jealousy in conjunction with my compersion, but it exists. Like, it can exist. So, like, is it, like if you are like, going for a promotion at your own work and you don't get it, but your friend gets promoted at their work, you can be jealous that you didn't get what you were hoping for and really excited for them because they, like, they deserve this amazing thing. And both of those emotions can coexist. Um, and I would say that envy especially is definitely coincides with compersion a lot for myself. Um, a friend of mine recently went to this really amazing resort in Mexico and he was having such a great time and constantly telling me about it. And I was like, I feel so much compersion for you. <laughs> <laughs> it was a real struggle. I'm like, I'm very happy for so you. So happy. But I just want to be there, goddammit. You know, so, and I, I did feel happy. I did feel happy for them and their, for their joy. But I also was so envious. I'm like, I do want to be there so much. Um, so so I do feel like you can definitely have both. And I think envy is kind of an offshoot of jealousy. It's a, yeah. it's a, a version of it a little bit. So 
yeah, I don't think that they're mutually exclusive by any means. But yeah. Um, Jealousy almost makes it seem like you don't want them to have it either. And right. envy is more like you can I be happy that, that you <laughs> that they have it and want it. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but I think that jealousy so often is societally uh, encouraged. And even when it yes. comes to stuff like friends having things that are happening to them, a promotion, how often do you see, you know, on Facebook or things like, oh, you bitch, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I hate you. I hate you right now for having that. Even if it's like a donut, you know, like you're just like, right. oh, I hate you. And it's like uh, a joke or something, but it's also, right. they're not. Sort of. Yeah, sort a of joke. a joke. Um, but totally socially accepted that, yeah. oh, yeah, you can hate someone for having a good life because you don't or something. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. And that if you are not experiencing that feeling and someone expects you to, like expects you to feel jealousy or expects you to feel uncomfortable, um, that's viewed as weird and maybe like broken and like it's something wrong. Uh, so when I uh, finished grad school, uh, I had the opportunity to go traveling with um, two of my very close female friends, um, not romantic partners or anything like that, but that's actually one of the things, just as a side note, that I love about polyamory is that you get to really invest in your friendships too without there being a narrative of like, well, you're taking time away from your partner. Right. But I found out that um, the rest of the folks in our grad school cohort separately went up to my two friends and just kept asking like, is Gretchen okay? Are she and her partner going to break up? Like, why isn't why isn't she traveling to Europe with him? Why is she going with you? Hmm. Um, and that was before we actually had had the discussion about polyamory and everything. We were still trying to figure out how to preserve our own separate lives and still like be in this partnership and all that. And I just I think that that comes in so often with this idea that you should be jealous and jealousy is the norm. Yeah. And that if you're not jealous, if you're okay um, with letting someone that you're in a relationship be themselves and not trying to impose your will on them, that you are weird and broken. Right. And I feel like jealousy is, uh, and all of the things that encapsulate jealousy and like insecurities, fears, envy, um, all of those things are very natural emotions, uh, and, and really, what I like to say in the in the community is, it's what you do, it's your behavior when you're feeling those emotions that actually matter. You can be jealous. It's just, you know, like what do you do? How then? you react? How do you like, how you take yeah. that and put that into the world matters. But specifically, and, and something that kind of like fosters jealousy, the possessiveness is so encouraged by society. You know, I mean, in every Valentine's Day, how many things do you see? Be mine, and it's like, oh. Be my property. Yeah. yeah. You are my property. I am your property. And we own each other. And possessiveness is so encouraged. And it's so disturbing. It's romanticized yeah. and, and treated as this thing that you should want and, and feel special about. And, and that just uh, that just seems abusive to me. But. Right. Right. It's, yeah, it's very, uh, it's, it's a, an opposite um, feeling and belief that I feel like a lot of poly folks, um, you know, like into their life because it's just like, no, no, I don't, I don't want anyone to own me or try to control me. And the opposite feeling. So like the, this compersion feeling is so wonderful and happy and delightful. And so I, I can't count the number of times that, um, I've seen 
one of my partners or uh, one of my metamors have this really lovely, happy experience or be flirting with someone else, like, who isn't me or whatever, like, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but that other people in the room have just, like, turned to each other and just beamed and gone, oh, compersion is great. Mm-hmm. Well, what I was thinking, actually, of is I don't know how many times I have been with you and our mutual partner and sometimes other people as well, and you've just stopped for a moment and been like, I fucking love Polly! <laughs> That is true. And you get to say so excited, <laughs> and you have just this like radiant joy on your face when you're, and it's clear like mm-hmm. I would call what's going on in there a very intense moment of compersion. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and it's something that my partner feels like my my nesting partner feels a lot as well. Um, and then Maybe I've experienced with other partners. <laughs> I mean, it's not less intense, but just his way. It's of something he's pretty it vocal is. about yeah. for not being yeah. a super like vocal person. Yeah. Um, he feels really strongly about it, and um, like there was an example from a couple of nights ago, like last week, I think, um, where I had just been texting back and forth with someone who. Um, it, Definitely there's been some, like, flirting and, like, all of that with, and, um, who is, is Polly and is in, like, they are married and their spouse is also Polly, um, and so there was just this point of connection where the two of us were flirting back and forth, um, through a messaging app, and my partner, just as he was walking by, caught sight of one of the messages and was like, I'm so glad that... Like, you are having this wonderful moment. I just want to tell you how happy I am for that. And so knowing that the person that I was talking to also is very much a fan of compersion, I sent him, like, they passed along that message um, and got a message back that he and his wife were very much enjoying, like, that enjoyment and... Um, <laughs> it's like this happy compersion for your compersion. I, yeah. Well, I ended up coining this phrase that it was an orgy of metamorph compersion. <laughs> and... Compersion orgy. Yeah. yeah. Um... And it, it's that's, it's that's a really joyful, thing. positive thing that um, that I think is is really important in how I practice polyamory. Like I I have been fortunate to never have a, a partner or a metamor that doesn't want to get involved with my polycule and that doesn't want to be able to, you know, grab a cup of coffee or sit down over dinner or end up at the same event together at the same time or whatever that, like, we have to split things apart so that thing, like, this is your thing and this is the, like, um, so it's, I, I don't know that it's a boundary or a deal breaker for me, but that might only be because I haven't run up against the negativity of, right. Mm-hmm. other options so. yeah i would i would also not say that it's like a total boundary or deal breaker for me but it's like really important you know it's just like it's right up there like <laughs> to being like uh this is uh like and I, I also kind of feel if if someone's a someone i am with does not respect or like the person who i am totally in love with and intend to spend the rest of my life with there must be something wrong with them. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't get you. And that would cause a rift. I'm, I'm positive of it. So I feel like I, like, I don't necessarily have that exact feeling, but I, I like a lot of what you're saying resonates for me. And, and I think why it would bother me is that it's okay if 
you know, person A and person B don't really love hanging out together. Um, it's okay if you don't really grok each other and you don't know why I like both of you. <laughs> but if you're, if one of those people is going to be antagonistic or negative right. toward another person in my life, that feels like you don't trust me and you're betraying my trust. Right. Um, because it's okay. You don't have to like somebody the same way I do. Right. But you have to trust that I do like them. Right. And that there are good reasons for that. It's very interesting thinking about this from a newer to poly and solo poly point of view because I'm new to navigating this space. And, you know, in some ways I fell into a lovely polycule and just got absorbed, <laughs> right? But um, as I'm now developing other relationships outside of that polycule, um, trying to just sort of figure out, like, where am I comfortable in bringing all of the people together? And how absorbed into everything do I want other people to be? And it's, I, I don't know the answer to that yet. It's just an interesting place to be in an in inquiry. I think your journey has been really, really interesting, though. And, like, as... I, like, as your metamor, being along for some of the things of, like, oh, do you want to meet so-and-so? Or, you know, so-and-so and I just went on a date. And then, like, let's all go to the beach. Or um, we're going to be at this same event. Like, let's all sit together for a while and talk. And those are things that um, that are very affirming for me that I really appreciate as part of how you approach Polly because it makes me feel very just excited about how positive things are within the different relationship dynamics between everybody. Well, I think it also matters that we're metamors at this point in time, but we were very good friends yes. before there was any romantic relationship. Oh. In Yes, the, everything you said about like going to Chicago <laughs> and all these other things. Um, yeah. it, it, but it's also, like, there are a lot of new things. So um, if you don't mind, like, I want to talk about Christmas for a second. Oh, like, yes. We... She says, Christmas was so fantastic. It was. Um, we ended up like doing a new thing this year and doing a, a gift exchange with um, Katie and her kids. And that's something that... And Gretchen's mom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we talked about her supportiveness. Like, it really extends quite far. <laughs> um, but it, it's something that I had never done before. I, like, done a gift exchange with, like, a partner of Metamore's kids and everything. And it was... Um, it was just really lovely and positive and like sure like new things like there were a couple of moments where it was like are like are the kids comfortable with this okay now they're comfortable with this we're playing a board game it's all good um and just kind of checking in on that but um a little bit of the discomfort may just have also been seventh grade yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's um that's also something that has been interesting to navigate is like you being out to your kids and then wanting to just have the affirmation that like, yeah, this poly thing that mom is doing, it's okay with the people that are related to the folks that she's doing it with. Um, and there's like an extra layer of that because one of your students is at the school, yeah. one of the schools that I'm yeah. stationed at. Um, one of my children, yes. actually. Your student. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, I feel like they get to hold the student yeah. identity no matter who's talking fair, to them. Fair. I don't think of him as a student. That's true. That's true. Um, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, that was a big part of why we need to figure, needed to figure out how to navigate how out to be because they're observant and... Mm -hmm. I did not want them to think that there was anything going on that, you know, you should be upset about. Yeah. 
And so, like, there was a really lovely moment um, toward the end of last year where um, there were parent-teacher conferences, I think, or maybe it was the beginning of this year, and um, I walked out of my office and saw you and your kids in the hallway and got to sit down with you guys for a couple of minutes during that event. Um, and we were eating a very messy lunch or dinner, yes. and you, like, helped us out with finding napkins. Yeah, out of it, nowhere. Was, it was great. Um but then there have also been moments where it's like I didn't necessarily plan for this conversation. Uh, like I was having a conversation with a colleague and uh, they're like, oh, you know, I, I, I heard uh, from, and they were trying to remember your name. So right. Katie, um, that you guys know each other. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, next week we're going to each other's house for Christmas because <laughs> Katie's dating my husband. Right. That wasn't the conversation right. I had with my Coworker in that mm-hmm. space because I wasn't out for that. So right. like there, there are always things that like you have to see if you're navigating well enough in the moment, and then go back and check like, yeah. do right. we navigate this okay? This right, right. Like... So, so you mentioned in I think episode two uh, that when you came out to your kids, they were worried more about Gretchen, right? Yes. Like yes, they were definitely concerned. You know because uh, my ex is monogamous and very very monogamous and had a bad breakup earlier this year where part of the issue was that the person who they were seeing started seeing someone else. And, um, you know, they saw how upset she was by having that experience, and they don't want you to have that experience, and they certainly don't want me to be the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, good, we share that. (laughs) But that's also, that's not what's happening. And all of us have been aware of the changing dynamics as the dynamics began to change. Yeah. And I think, like, for me, I don't know if we've ever actually talked about this, um, but I was very mindful, like, after you told us that, uh, yeah, I came out to my kids, and, you know, we're, we're, is it okay if we get together for this particular event or whatever? I don't know, we got, like, ice cream or something like that. Just, But just um, to demonstrate that everybody is happy and safe and healthy in this dynamic, and it is good. Um, I was just very mindful of the... The fact that I've been on this journey long enough that it feels very normal to me and that I wanted to be very intentional with demonstrating, like, things are good, you guys. This is awesome. Um, And just being more, almost more demonstrative of that than I even normally would be. Right. And I think that's... Telegraph that. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And I think that's something, you know, when my ex-wife and I were together... I was very intentional about that in a context of being out as queer parents and figuring out how to be intentional in that kind of parallel way. You know, it's it's a work in progress, and I appreciate that you are in this with me. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything more on kitchen table poly you would like to talk about or, um, I don't know, rave about? <laughs> Sure. I'm going to talk about my day yesterday (laughs) Um, because it was just a really lovely affirming poly day in a way that, um, that I I think people outside of the poly world don't really think about because I I think a lot of times when um, you hear about, oh, well, you're having relationships with other people and everything, people immediately think about like the romantic or sexual connotations of that, um, And yesterday was a very lovely day where I saw so many partners and metamors and, like, need to count on two hands to to count the number of um, partners and metamors that I interacted with. And absolutely none of it had anything 
to do with sex whatsoever. Um, there, it wasn't dates or whatever, but it was um, at a partner stay over from a date the night before. Um, she and my husband and I went out to get um, pastries at a local cafe. Um, and then another person who's kind of like in our polycule and everything um, has had some health issues recently. So uh, the three of us picked up extra pastries and went and like visited and delivered them to, um, to him and his spouse. Mm-hmm. And then went and met up with Katie and her kids for a... Um, movie and saw like saw a movie with the kids and all that and then um went to book club together yeah too (laughs) so um so it was this this really lovely wonderful day that was very like just very affirming and very positive and that's kind of what I think about when I think of kitchen table poly is like it's not just the um like being able to be together in the same space. It's also like, oh, uh, someone needs a ride to the airport. And so like this metamor twice removed is going to, <laughs> to, to give this ride. Or I'm on a date with uh, one partner and her car just broke down. So I like, I don't want to call in and interrupt my husband to give me a ride. Cause he's on a date with Katie. <laughs> um, and my partner's other partner has another partner in from out of town tonight, so he's already at the airport. Um, but so I'm gonna have to make this call, and then like the next two hours is spent like going over the phone, that problem like, together. That was the every branch of the polycule getting together and trying to like figure out how to fix the problem with the car and get the things that we needed and get everybody where they needed to be. And it was phenomenal. Like it was yeah. just this really, um, again, really affirmative thing that's creating really, a network yeah you know, like a help network and it's too. it's a community yeah. and that's really what i appreciate about um the poly community but then also that dynamic where it's not like oh separate parallel things and you know the twins she'll meet and all of that that yeah when i think of kitchen table poly i think of a lack of drama which i really appreciate. yes yeah everyone can be friendly and everyone gets to you know um communicate with one another hopefully and yeah and then that it's just and it's not dramatic yeah it's just yeah. lovely <laughs> yeah. i i don't i don't need any drama right. in my life um and i think a lot of people would assume that polly would create a lot of drama uh and it doesn't for me it's, and it does for some but yeah those are very uh, dramatic i suspect sometimes. yeah their yeah. personality <laughs> is yeah. a big role in yes, that it does so, and circumstance like sometimes circumstance is very much beyond your control um but I find that even when circumstances are stressful and bizarre and, you know, three people within the, the polycule or the family of the polycule have been in car accidents in a week and right. we've been in the hospital visiting everybody three times this week. Um, it's that, eventful. It's eventful but, and it can be stressful, but sure, it's yeah. less stressful and less dramatic because of this fabric of support that yeah. we've built. Right. You don't have to be the whole soul helpful person because you're the romantic partner because right. that emotional and physical labor can be shared. Exactly. And so um, sometimes that has looked like okay, this like this person in the polycule like 
they need to be able to go to work tomorrow. They don't have the ability to take off and, and take care of somebody who is going through a, a traumatic, stressful time. But so-and-so other person can, or we can trade like partway through the day, or I can send a text message and ask, hey, can you check in on so-and-so? Because I know I have to be like unavailable for the next six hours, but I'm worried about them or they could really um, just use someone reaching out and right. Or, you know, somebody's out of town. And so, and yeah. somebody else is like having a really bad day. Don't want to be by myself. Like, Oh, guess what? You don't have to be by yourself. Yeah. And even if it's not a partner relationship, the closeness of a lot of those metamorph relationships in your life and my life are really lovely. Yeah. And I think that's how I operate a lot of the time, too, is, like, friendship is really important to me before it becomes a, like, romantic relationship or something, too. But isn't there, like, Spice Girls lyric about that? <laughs> you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friend. Yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think, actually, that that was on my, play, my like, for the year playlist. <laughs> Not last year, but the year before, ironically. So before I sat you down and demanded a poly vocabulary lesson. <laughs> It is a good poly theme song. It is. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we're, we're wrapping up here on uh, the end of the episode. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add or uh, sign off for no, yourself? That's good. That's okay. Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Yeah, definitely. So, thank you. All right. So that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank my husband, Rob, for helping us through our many sound issues and thank myself for editing the podcast so we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. We will forever be grateful for any contribution you can manage to making this podcast better and more efficient. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye. Bye.